You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. And right now, here is the professor of Saltenbacher, Dr. History. Good morning, Zab. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds interesting. Well, you know, it does. It sounds doggone good, and it's the special today at the Chadwick Sports Grill. It's Port Saltenbacher. Well, just pork sounds good, whatever that is. Well, yeah, but, you know, your mission after the program, and if you decide not to take this mission, it'll self-destruct in five seconds. Anyway, your mission after this program is to find out what Port Saltenbaca is. Okay, if I can figure out how to spell it. Oh, it's easy. Just sound it out. Anyway, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, doing great. We've just I was checking on our uh, web page, and we have now over 7,000 hits. In, I said last week 35, but it's only 25 countries throughout the world. You exaggerated! Shame on you! I did, I did. I apologize. <laughs> it's only 25 countries around the world. And so, you know, we're getting out there a little bit. But just want to encourage those listeners out there that if you like it, tell your friends and... Uh, See if we can get more listeners, even. We promise not to sever relationships with the countries aforementioned. We have no idea. I don't have any idea. Who are some of the 25 countries that have uh, gone on our website? Oh, gosh. Uh, China, Japan, Korea, uh, Latvia. Uh, Latvia? Turkey, uh, Egypt, um, uh, England, uh, France. Um, some South American countries, uh, I can't remember which, uh, it's amazing to me, the, <laughs> the diversity all over the, all over the world. Why, you know, we go, f- here and there. we go from riding horses here to riding camels over there. <laughs> I guess, but they like to hear about things like this, so that's what we're going to talk about today, I hope, something that they'll be interested in. Now, if you think about the Old West, there's some kind of exciting things that took place, uh, and a lot of them had to do with outlaws and marshals and shootouts. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to talk about today. All right. Well, yeah, outlaws, in-laws, they're all the same. Go ahead. Here we go. So just want to picture, have you picture in your mind, here comes the train down the track, uh, gushing smoke from its stack. It's the Atlantic and Pacific Railroads number 2, eastbound. It's slowing to a stop at what they call the Diablo Canyon Station. Mm-hmm. This is in Arizona Territory, and the year is 1889. Well, there wasn't much to Diablo Canyon Station. Train stopped there to take on more wood and water, but that was about it. Nothing, you know, not much there. But today, though, there was more waiting for the train. There were four young cowboys who worked for the Aztec Land and Cattle Company, also called the famous Hash Knife Outfit. Well, they rode up while the train was stopped. So the four cowboys swung down from the horses, pulled their guns, and swarmed aboard the train. They held the conductor, the engineer, and the fireman at gunpoint while they forced the express messenger to open the express car. Well, these cowboys turned train robbers made quick work of looting the safe, and their loot consisted of about $7,000 in cash 
and actually a considerable amount of jewelry. Mm-hmm. So for some hard-working cowboys, this was uh, a huge success. So on their horses, they jumped and galloped off to the north. They crossed the Navajo Reservation, heading towards Utah, heading north. Now, unfortunately for these young desperados, they had committed their crime in a county, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, it's Yavapai. Yavapai. Y-A-V-A-P-A-I. Yep, Yavapai, yep. Yavapai County. Well, this set in motion one of the longest manhunts in terms of distance in the history of the Old West. They hadn't reckoned on the fact that they would be pursued by the Yavapai, Yavapai County Sheriff, Bucky O'Neill. Now, I'm going to bet nobody's heard of Bucky O'Neill. You haven't heard of Bucky O'Neill? What is the matter with you? Well, I have, but I'm just (laughs) saying, I I don't think a lot of people have heard of him, like Jesse James and a few of those other guys, or the Earps. So, William Owen, Bucky O'Neill, was born in Ireland in 1860, and when he was still young, his family immigrated to America and wound up in St. Louis. He was a well-educated guy. He moved to Phoenix, Arizona became editor of the Arizona Gazette. Now this guy, if you kind of picture, I don't have a picture of him, but if you can picture in your mind, he was a, kind of a soft-spoken, modest, cultured, and possessed the knack of making just about everybody like him. But he also had a strong sense of fair play and never hesitated to stick up for the underdog. In fact, uh, one of the examples, uh, at this time the Atlantic and Pacific uh, Railroad was extending its rail line through Arizona. Well, it seems a gang of the graders who uh, prepared the right-of-way for the tracks to be laid down later took over a water hole running off a band of peaceful Navajo Indians who watered their sheep at that water hole. Well, Bucky O'Neill found out about this. He rode out to confront the railroad workers and asked them to restore the water hole to the Navajos. Well, of course, the foreman and the grading crew, they just laughed. And so Bucky, he just quietly rode off. But a little while later, he was back. Now, at this time, he was at the head of a group of Navajo Indians whom he had armed and offered to lead them into battle. Well, not wanting a full-scale Indian war on their hands, the railroad workers kind of decided better just to leave the water hole to its rightful owners. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of the kind of man that we're talking about, this Bucky O'Neill. Now, this incident uh, that turned Bucky O'Neill against the railroads, which at that time were the most powerful political force in the territory. Now, Bucky had political ambitions of his own and was elected uh, probate judge, and a couple of years later, he ran for county sheriff on the platform that he would enforce the tax laws and make the railroad pay its full share. Well, the railroad barons hadn't been paying their share for quite some time, so obviously they opposed Bucky's campaign. They, They didn't want him coming after him. So anyway, given their anger toward the sheriff, it's no surprise that when the Eastbound was held up and robbed at Diablo Canyon Station. Uh, the, ironically, the officials of the Atlantic and Pacific did not ask the sheriff to go after the outlaws. Uh, they just figured, you know, the loss from the express car was not that big, and the officials believed rightfully so that if O'Neill pursued and captured the robbers, that his standing in the county would be even better. Mm-hmm. Well, but once Bucky heard about the, the robbery, his pride and his devotion to duty would not allow him to ignore it. So he set off for Diablo Canyon Station to pick up the outlaw's trail, uh, and he took a posse with him. Now, Bucky O'Neill himself was able to pick up the trail uh, of the outlaws, and the lawmen rode north, trailing the outlaws through the reservation toward Utah. Uh, For two weeks, the chase continued, made longer by the fact that the train robbers doubled back several times in an attempt to throw off any pursuit. 
Well, by the time both groups reached the vicinity of, the, the vicinity of Kanab, Utah, the outlaws had to be aware that a posse was on their trail. They stopped and set up an ambush. Now, the shots that suddenly rang out forced O'Neill and the other posse members to hunt for cover, but none of them were hit. And for several brief but furious minutes, they threw lead back and forth at the outlaws, and the outlaws finally uh, fled again, still heading north. Well, if anything, the fight must have made Bucky O'Neill more determined than ever to catch up to his guys. So the posse rode on deeper into Utah, sticking to the outlaws, and by now the horses were getting pretty worn out. Uh, imagine, we're going a week, two weeks here, and the chase couldn't really continue too much longer. Well, you ever been to now, Kanab, Utah, by the way? I have. I think I've driven through there. I'll tell you what, that is quite a wide open, but yet very hilly, very steep country. And I'll tell you what, I can see why they were getting a little tired going through there. Well, and, you know, kind of a deserty place, uh, you know, lack of water, uh, feed for the horses. So, you know, yeah, it was getting tough on the men and the horses. That was a major movie site, by the way, for the John Wayne movies and everything. I just thought I'd throw that in. That's right. They did a lot of movies down in that area, down in Utah. So, but Bucky O'Neill, he was riding a good old sturdy buckskin horse named Sandy. And this old horse, this good old horse lived up to its name. And the sheriff was able to actually pull ahead of the other members of the posse. Now, this is where history gets a little foggy because accounts differ as to what actually happened when Bucky rode up into a canyon. Some say that they came upon the outlaws sitting around a campfire thinking that they had lost their uh, pursuers at last, while other versions of the story claim that the robbers were waiting for O'Neill and that he rode into another ambush. But whatever is true, the gun blasts, the gunshots blasted that day, and echoing from the walls of the canyon as Bucky O'Neill, again, swapped lead with the outlaws he was chasing. But uh, anyway, O'Neill's horse went down, and it fell on the sheriff's leg and pinned him to the ground. So things weren't looking too good for Bucky O'Neill. But uh, anyway, at that moment, the rest of the posse caught up with him. They uh, kind of pulled him out from underneath his horse. And uh, anyway, the posse continued uh, shooting at the outlaws. And uh, anyway, once he was on his feet again, O'Neill rejoined the fight. And uh, so outnumbered and exhausted, uh, the horses were given out. The young cowboys finally uh, did the only thing they could do. They surrendered. So they threw down their guns and lifted their hands, and when the posse searched their saddlebags, they found nearly all of the money taken in the Diablo Canyon holdup, as well as most of the stolen jewelry. So the boys didn't even get a chance to, to celebrate or, or spend any of the money. Now, Bucky O'Neill had caught the men he was after at last, but now he had a problem. What to do with them? He was hundreds of miles from Yavapai County, far out of his jurisdiction. Now. Keep in mind, Zeb, remember the old movies uh, when the outlaws would head across the county line and the sheriff and the posse would be after them, and as soon as they crossed the county line, the sheriff would stop? You've seen those movies. Oh, right? absolutely, yeah. They'd kind of rein up and go, boys, the chase is over. Yeah, yeah, we've hit the county line. And, uh, and that was just kind of understood. But uh, uh, in this particular case, Bucky O'Neill, he didn't stop. He just kept on going. Uh, so anyway, uh, he was far away from his own county. So Bucky decided to push on north instead of going south, so they rode on into Salt Lake City, uh, because that was actually closer than heading home. Well, the posse reached Salt Lake City, and, at once they, and once they got there, 
O'Neill went through the train, train station. He bought tickets for all of them uh, on the next Denver and Rio Grande eastbound train that would take them to Denver. Now, this was kind of a roundabout way of getting back to Arizona, but O'Neill considered it safer. Well, when the party reached Denver, O'Neill purchased more train tickets, this time on a Santa Fe westbound headed for Prescott, Arizona. Now, this is what I find a little interesting. O'Neill paid for all of these tickets himself. Now, I'm not sure how he did that. You know, they didn't have credit cards back then. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he just uh, kept receipts and charged it, I, but for whatever, he, he paid for all of this himself. Now, by the time the posse and the prisoners got back to Prescott, though, Bucky O'Neill had spent $8,000 in out-of-pocket expenses. Holy cow. Now, I, I don't know, maybe he, maybe he used the money that they gotten from the, the robbers. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, unfortunately, Bucky got back with only three prisoners uh, out of the four. Seems like when the train was stopped in New Mexico, uh, one of the guys, a guy named Smith, had gotten loose and escaped. And still, Sheriff O'Neill brought back three of the four outlaws following the chase that had lasted four weeks and taken the posse to, into four different states, let alone crossing county lines. Well, anyway, this Smith guy was actually recaptured, so all four of the men were con- uh, convicted of armed robbery and sent to prison. Oh, boy. Well, it turned out to be an expensive trip for the sheriff. Bucky had been careful to get receipts for all of his expenses, but when he took those receipts to the county board of supervisors, the board refused to pay. The supervisors claimed that as a county employee, O'Neill should have asked their permission before leaving the county on official business. Oh, boy. Now, doesn't that sound a little political? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it's typical of what's going on now. <laughs> yes. Well, since he hadn't done that, uh, hadn't followed protocol, the cost of the pursuit was his responsibility, the board told him. Uh-huh. Well, now, the real reason was because they were all uh, members or cronies of the railroad barons. Uh, that was the real reason. So O'Neill sued the county. Well, you know, went to the courts and all this and that. And basically, when everything was said and done, he got no money. So it was basically out of his own pocket. Well, as time went on, he ran for Congress, but he was defeated. Uh, but he continued to serve as sheriff. And there were several more times that he actually pursued fugitives out of the county and caught them. But none of these chases were as long and spectacular as the one that started at Diablo Canyon Station. Well, when he finally gave up the badge, he moved to Tombstone, Arizona, and edited the newspaper for a while. Now, about this time, this is about 1898, the Spanish-American War broke out. Now, Bucky O'Neill was one of the first volunteers from Arizona, and he became a captain in the Arizona troop of Teddy Roosevelt's famous Rough Riders. I'll be. And I think we've all heard of them. Sure. And so he went to Cuba and served with distinction in Cuba. And uh, this is kind of where uh, we get a bit of a sad ending here. Uh, as his men lay in a trench near the city of Santiago there in, in Cuba, uh, Bucky entertained them by reciting uh, Walt Whitman's poem, Captain, My Captain. Well, he got carried away by what he was doing, and Bucky kind of lifted himself a bit too far from the trench, and he ignored a warning voice by one of his men. A second later, a shot rang out as a Spanish sniper fired, and the bullet struck O'Neill in the head killed him instantly. Mm. So, O'Neill was buried at first there on the island, but later his body was moved to Arlington National Cemetery. Now, in Prescott, Arizona, and I've never been there, but I I think you probably have. Yes, I have. Uh, There's a statue that was sculpted by a guy named Solon Borglum. Now, this is the brother of the sculptor who 
did Mount Rushmore. I see. But he sculpted this, had this statue, and it was to honor the Arizona Rough Riders. Uh, but this statue of a horseman was intended to represent all the Rough Riders. But because of Bucky O'Neill's reputation, it was so great, he, and he was so respected in Arizona, that over the years it has become known as the Bucky O'Neill Monument. Hmm. And it's a fitting tribute for one of Arizona's greatest lawmen and a sheriff who, when he started after an outlaw, he never gave up the case. You know, I honestly, at a certain part of the story, I thought you were going to say that when he did not get paid or reimbursed for bringing the prisoners back, even though he had to cross county and state lines, I honestly thought that you were going to possibly say that, okay, old Bucky turned around, and the next day he turned the prisoners loose, and he kept the money and split it with the other guys, and they lived happily ever after. You know, it would be rightfully so, wouldn't it? Really? Yeah. I mean, he had $7,000 in cash, yeah. plus the... Plus, they said a considerable amount of jewelry that was worth who knows how much. Maybe so. Maybe you're talking ten to fourteen thousand dollars worth of uh, money and goods. You know, and here he was, dedicated to his job, trying to do what was right, going against the political uh, cronies of the railroad at the time, which were uh, again kind of. Uh, showing their strength uh, and doing whatever they wanted to do. Well, I tell you why I said that. Uh, you earlier in the story you said that uh, he had a problem and a confrontation with some folks over water, so he went and got a bunch of Navajo Indians and just showed up and basically uh, called their hand and won. And I honestly thought you were going to say, "Okay, he didn't get paid and reimbursed, and so he just called their hand and won. He let the cowboys go. He kept the money and lived happily ever after." I thought really that's what you we're going to say well you know and a lesser man would have done that yeah yeah <laughs> and how many times do we see that where lawmen uh, do get a little disgruntled with the the situation and they do turn to be outlaws yeah uh, but so, there again that was one of the again. best stories i've heard in a long time dr history you have done it again well thank you zev i just hope the people enjoy these stories and again those that are out there and these foreign countries are in our good old United States. I hope that, uh, you know, if you like our stories, tell your friends and uh, get us on dr-history.com and you can listen to any or all of the stories. We've got about 20 of them on there now, I think. So just uh, tune in anytime you want and listen to these stories. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. You deserve a treat today, so stop over to the Chadwick and have some pork saltambaca. I can't wait. Okay. That sounds great. <laughs> hey, God bless you, man. Thanks so much for being on the program again. Dr. Ken Turner, known as Dr. History. Great job today. Appreciate it. You have a good day, Zach. All right, thank you. Don't forget, dr-history.com. You can listen in anywhere in the world. Really, really interesting. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.